0: If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to Psalm 91. Psalm 91, we'll be reading the entire psalm. Psalm 91, would you give ear to the reading of God's word? He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him upon high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I shall satisfy him and show him my salvation. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious God, we come to your throne. We come because we know who you are. You are the Almighty God, the fortress of your people. We have already read, we have read your word and we know. The only help we will ever receive will come from you. You tell us that you will give us words and wisdom that none of our adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to understand. Let us stand firm and not be moved from this wisdom. Use your spirit. Build in us a deeper and deeper understanding of this glorious gospel you have provided us with through your word. We pray this. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. We come this morning to Psalm 91. The Hebrew text gives us no title and no author of this psalm. The Jewish scholars say that when no author is given, it is most likely the work of the author of the psalm that precedes it. Thus, they would believe Moses wrote this psalm also. As you look over the work in the Hebrew, you can see that much of the wording is similar to Psalm 90. I have titled this message, A Place to Hide. What is it that we need from God when trials come against us? We need a place. A place to hide because our strength cannot protect us. Only God can. Charles Spurgeon believed that the lives of Joshua and Caleb The two men who argued for going into the promised land at Kadesh Barnea against the ten who refused to believe was the inspiration Moses used for this psalm. Moses wrote Psalm 90, and it was an exposition of the word that would come later in Deuteronomy 33, verse 27, the eternal God is your refuge. It is a psalm of the wilderness, a great psalm which contrasts the permanence of God with the moral frailty of man. The sentence of death had been passed on Israel at Kadesh Barnea for their rebellion and their against God, and the punishment of that rebellion was to cover 40 years. Their 40 years were running out, but it was the eternal God that was shown to be their refuge. This psalm was to show that even after times of trial and punishment, there is life with God. The theme of this psalm is underneath the everlasting arms. This is one of the passages of scripture that Satan employed in his temptation of Jesus. He knew this psalm and used it in his usual distorted and devious way. Satan studies the Bible just like men do. He does studies it for his own twisted ends. He is the great perverter of God's word and plan. Charles Spurgeon said of this psalm, in the whole collection there is not a more cheering psalm. Its tone is elevated and sustained throughout. Faith is at its best and speaks nobly. These words are a very good introduction to this great work. Let us turn our attention to this great psalm of hope. First, we'll learn of the times of trial for which we need refuge. Second, we will find the hope we are given by our God as we live under his protection. Third, we will see the great and wonderful place dedicated to our safety. Fourth, we will find who is the guard of the faithful. Fifth, we will hear the promise of our Lord. In writing this psalm, the author shows he knows something about facing trials. He uses four different names of God in these first two verses to express his thoughts of how God helps his people how he takes care of them on a daily basis. Listen to verses 1 and 2. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and fortress, my God, in him I will trust. The four names he uses are Elyon, the Most High, Shaddai, the Almighty, Jehovah, the Lord, and Elohim, God, the Creator. Elyon, the Most High, is the possessor of heaven and earth. The thought of this name is that he, Elion, owns everything. Therefore, we can understand there is a place to hide for all believers. We serve Elyon, the God who possesses everything. The next name is Shaddai, the Almighty. It is wonderful to know that God owns everything. But what does that mean to you? God is Elion, the possessor of everything, but he is also Shaddai. There's a great thought behind the name Shaddai. It is embedded in the Hebrew structure, and it is that God is not just a living God, but he is also a giving God. He is the one who supplies all of our needs. Shaddai brings us the thought of provision. Next is Jehovah the Lord. The Hebrew people saw this name as the greatest name for God. He is the God who exists because he exists. He told Moses at the burning bush, I am that I am, the eternal, the self-existent one. He is God in covenant relations with his own people. The thought this gives is one of promise. He is the God who has committed himself to do for his people what they could never do for themselves. Things which no man, demon of hell, or failure in ourselves could ever thwart. Is that not the most awesome hiding place where we stand in the promise of Jehovah? The last name is Elohim, the great creator God, my God. You will always see this name in the plural always associated with a singular verb. If I were to say, in my old South Georgia accent, we's going to Greenville, that would be poor English. However, God can say we is because he exists in three persons, but one God. To use the word Elohim in the singular would simply not be deep enough to show all that is meant in the revealing of God. Elohim is used 2,700 times in the Bible. It appears first in the creation accounts, thus setting its meaning as the creator God. The main thought would be that of power. In these four words, we find our fortress. Possession, provision, promise, and power. These are the building blocks of our eternal hiding place. This is our fortress, our refuge, our citadel. What a great thought that we are hidden in Jehovah our Lord. He and he alone is our fortress. I couldn't believe how relevant this passage was until I really stopped and dove into this third verse. Verse 3. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. We can learn from this. We can learn from this that no plot of the wicked can succeed against anyone who is watched over by God. We are all foolish and weak, just like a small bird can be trapped in a snare so we can be fooled by the wicked. But those who dwell in God will be delivered from such traps. The one who we serve is a spirit and is very capable of defeating the evil spirits of hell. The one we serve is mysterious and can deliver us from mysterious dangers. Also the one we follow is immortal and thus can deliver us from mortal sickness. He talks of the snare of the fowler. We are living in a day when Christianity is in decline, and those who hate it are emboldened. We see the traps they are, are have set for the, the unsuspecting believer. They are trying to trap you into believing God has made the mistakes. Can two men live together as man and wife? We've been told yes, they can, and with God's blessing. That's a lie from the pits of hell. God declared a man and woman were to live together as man and wife, and anything else is sin. Another mistake they say God made is how some people were born. They tell us men can have babies, and they can claim whatever gender they want to be. We must be careful. Careful that we don't fall into those traps and start agreeing that someone that is born a male can change and become a female. These are lies from the pit of hell, and we are called to watch for them and speak the truth about such error. There is also a perilous pestilence, a pestilence of disease. But be refreshed in hope, because our faith shall deliver us. Spurgeon said, faith by cheering the heart keeps it free from the fear which in times of pestilence kills more than the plague itself. I'm not trying to say that it will ward off all disease and death. But as the first verse says, the man of faith will truly be made immortal where others die hopelessly. Have we not seen this over the last several years? Where a plague came and was made for far Worse, by the efforts of men to stop it themselves. And many died, and many of those because of fear and not the plague itself. Faith is our defense against the snares and plagues of this world. Jehovah, our God, the God of promise, is also our defender and refuge. We hear next of the providence of God. Verse 4. He shall cover you with his feathers And under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. This is real shelter. This is real security. He shows us that even as a hen covers her chicks, so does the Lord protect the souls of those who come to him and dwell in him. Eagles in the sky and snares in the field are harmless to the one who dwells with the Lord. He makes it clear. The truth of the Lord is his true promise. His true promise is to you, your shield and buckler. The true child of God has double armor. This shield and buckler represent the shield of faith and a coat of mail to repel the fiery darts of the evil one. Man ever needs this protection of the Lord. Verse 5 and 6. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor the air that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks into the darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. He gives a survey, a survey of those dangers faced in this life. Many and various are the terrors of the night, great are the perils of the day, disease whose infections can attack unseen for a while. Also, protection is needed from assaults, casualties, and accidents which cannot be foreseen or guarded against. Our souls are just as vulnerable as our bodies. Sins and ambitions are watching for opportunities to destroy the souls of God's children. Sexual sins like pestilences walk in darkness seeking to trip up God's children. George Horn speaks of the church here. He says, in adversity, she is disturbed by terrors and prosperity, still more endangered by pleasures. Thus, it's very clear. It's clear that we seek the Lord and we commit our souls to dwell with him. John 16:33 says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. This is part of the promise that has been made that we stand upon. 1 John 5, 5. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus Christ has overcome the world. And he did it for you to prevent you from being overcome by it. Praise God for his providence, protection, and love for his people. Verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Again, this shows you our own day. Terrible plagues rage among men, and the price grows ever higher as the seeth of death is wielded. He says, it shall not come near you. It will be right beside you, yet not cut a hair of your head. Like a fire, it shall burn all around you, but not even the smell of smoke shall be upon you, just as it was when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fiery furnace of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I want you to stop and consider this in our world today. How true, how true have we seen it to be this plague of moral evil, of heresy, and of backsliding. Whole nations are infected, yet the man of God is not affected by such sins. He holds to the truth when falsehood is all the rage. We see churches that have given in to the ways of the world to keep their churches growing and alive. But in truth, without God's word, they're shriveled and dying, and their people are clinging to a false hope. The only hope that will last and defeat in your soul this plague of unbelief is to commit yourself to Jesus Christ and not let him go. To recognize him as the Son of God, the Savior, of the souls of men to recognize he has done for you what you could never do for yourself he lived the perfect life he died the atoning death he won the resurrection victory it is in him and in him alone that you can find hope and peace what will be the results of god's judgment against the wicked verse eight only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked Only those who are righteous will see the results of the judgment against the unrighteous. It is only the righteousness that will see the justice and mercy of God's actions. In those who die, the second death, the harshness of God will be seen, and in the believer, the divine riches will be seen as God's great goodness. Spurgeon says Joshua and Caleb will verify this process, this promise. They were witnesses of those who rebelled against God, and they saw these people's lives fall apart. They saw them come to an ignominious end. The Puritan preachers of the great plague of London in 1665 were at first staying under quarantine. But when this very passage was passed around, it changed their hearts. They came out of quarantine, and they began to preach that Christ was their hiding place. They overcame their fear and led the people to do the same. Fear of the world must be put aside by the believer. We are to trust in Jesus Christ and proclaim his word regardless of what we have to face to do it. When they preached this message, the hearts of many caught in the jaws of sin were softened and released from their fear. Those same hearts grew in excitement as they heard the truth. Their hearts were changed, their lives made anew, and their society strengthened. May God give the preachers of this nation and this day the encouragement to preach God's word without compromise. And may the people hear, and may their hearts be changed. We find again the concept of God as our protector. Look at verses 9 and 10. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. God preserves those who trust in him and keep them safe from all harm. He makes it clear. No evil will befall you. It cannot separate you from your Lord. No plague can destroy your dwelling because you dwell with God. I thought about the account of Corey ten Boone's life during World War II. Her family made their home a refuge for Jews, that were being hunted by the Nazis. Surely God would protect them. Certainly the terror that comes will not come near them. Without question, they had earned safety in their desire to help others. But no. One night, that dreaded knock at the door came. Their homes searched and the Jews found. Following that came the beatings and interrogations and the whole family was hauled off. To a concentration camp at Ravensbrück. Corey's sister, Willem, was killed, and the rest of the family lived in some horrible conditions until the war was over. What happened? What happened? Why did the boons have to go through such if God was their dwelling place? God does not promise to keep us from terror. He promises to keep us while we are under terror. Remember, Jesus told his disciples they would suffer under persecution. But they should not fear men who can kill the body, but fear God who can kill body and soul. Your dwelling place in the Lord is a spiritual dwelling, and it is as secure as God is powerful. No one can take from you your place with God. No terror can stop your communion with him. No attack of the flesh can inhibit your place with Jesus Christ. How many people have given their lives in the name of Jesus Christ? How many were killed by the Jews in the first century? How many were brutally killed in the name of Jesus in the Roman Colosseum? How many were killed by the scourge of the Muslims across northern Africa in the 1600s? Surely you, O Lord, are our refuge. O Most High, you have fixed your habitation in Zion to be the protector of your your servants. All those killed, all those killed as martyrs were living in God, and they did not lose their lives with him. They're in heaven with him today. In this next section, verses 11 and 12, we find that Satan used these words in his temptation of Jesus. He called for Jesus to cast himself from the pinnacle of the temple. He wanted him to prove he was God. He did this upon the presumption. Of the promise here made that the angels should guard and support him in all dangers. Jesus in his answer shows he defeated and exposed the error of the deceiver. Jesus knew that this promise was not given to make a show of God's promise. But to help believers face their troubles knowing God was present and ready to help them. Verse 11. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. He does not say you have one angel guarding you, you have the whole host of heaven guarding you. They are the bodyguards of the Prince of Heaven. They are commissioned by God the Father to look after the faithful. What are they to do? They're to keep you in all your ways. There to be the guard of all the saints. The protection promised in this is really broad. It covers all of your ways. What more could we ask for? How these angels kept you, we cannot tell. But we know they shall not allow anything or anyone to trip you up so that you lose your salvation. Verse 12. In their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. These are words Satan used to tempt our Lord, of course. He perverted the meaning. So what is the real meaning? They, that is the Lord's angels, shall with gladness and with cheer become your servants. In their hands they shall bear you up. As a mother carries her child with careful love, Shall the host from heaven take you and bear you up through this life? He goes on to say, lest you dash your foot against a stone. It becomes clear in these words that even minor things are covered in this protection. It's important that you understand the protection he's talking about is a spiritual protection. As believers, we need to be careful not to stumble, but we walk a rough path. Is it not really a glorious thing our Lord sends his servants, the angels, to bear us up above the little stones of life? If we can't follow a path already made smooth, is it not a marvelous thing that we have angels to bear us up above the dangers? Is it not true that the greatest dangers come from the smallest accidents? Therefore, it is indeed wise that the Lord provides protection for the smallest of evils. He has prepared the security you need for a life filled with gladness and cheer. He goes on to expand this idea of safety in verse 13. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. What does he mean in these words? You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. Over such things as might and deception, you will march in victory. You will face bold enemies and brash antagonists that will be tramp that you will trample down. Also the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. The most powerful foes and the most devious in mind shall be overcome by the believer in Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of Paul in Romans 16 20. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Paul shows. He shows what the cobra and the lion represent. Please don't take this literally. Moses uses the most dangerous things that can be found in the wilderness to represent spiritual dangers. Paul explains they represent Satan and his demons. This victory will be the fruit that will be yours for following and obeying Jesus Christ. What we learn here is that the man who abides in Christ sees his enemies of the most evil nature become harmless. He has the peace of God and cannot withstand and can withstand any attack from the greatest enemies of God. Mr. Spurgeon adds to this, their feet come into contact with the worst of foes. Even Satan himself nibbles at their heel, but in Jesus Christ they have assured hope of bruising Satan under their feet shortly. The disciples were sent out two by two to face the world. They were given the grace of God to fight evil. When they returned, they declared in Luke ten seventeen, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. I want you to think about that. Is that not really a glorious thought? That in Jesus Christ we can go and we can defeat the works of Satan himself. In these verses, we have the Lord himself addressing the one he has chosen. Verse 14, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him upon high because he has known my name. The Lord promises. He promises his love to the one he chose. He didn't choose him because he deserves to be kept. He chooses him because even in the middle of all the pain and suffering, he loves the Lord. So, he is assured that not just the angels will come to help him in times of trouble, but the Lord himself will come. When the heart is filled with love for the Lord and committed to him and connected to him with devotion, the Lord will see the Spirit's flame in his heart and will keep him who bears it in his life. Love is what is set upon the chosen and becomes the mark of those the Lord keeps from trouble. I will set upon him high. I will set him, set him upon high because he has known my name. The man that has known God's character, such that he has placed his complete trust in the Lord, he has experienced so much that he has grown in his wisdom. God will see this as a vow of his desire to follow the Lord. The Lord will then set him above danger and fear. He shall then be able to rest in peace and joy. Mr. Spurgeon says, None abide in intimate fellowship with God unless they possess a warm affection toward God and an intelligent trust in him. These gifts of grace are precious in Jehovah's eyes, and whenever he sees them, he smiles upon them. God gives a very elevated place, uh, an a dwelling place to those who believe in Jesus Christ. Such a place is to be coveted. For you to try and climb to the heights is very dangerous and impossible. But when God places you on the high place, it is glorious. Verse 15. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. He says, He shall call upon me, God, and I will answer him. As a believer, you have a great need of prayer. With the right spirit, you will be led to pray. When you do come to the answer, we'll certainly be there. As a believer, you are first called by God. Then you must call on God. Such calls will always bring an answer. Blessings do not come without prayer, not even the most favored. It is by prayer that all good things come. He continues this with these words, I will be with you in trouble. You could translate this, I am with you in trouble. This says the saved can be conscious of God's presence in times of trouble. God is ever present to help those who are his saints. God promises I will deliver him and honor him. The saints honor God and God honors them. You as a believer are not saved and protected in a way that makes you less before God. God brings you into a conquering grace and gives you the reward with it. What gifts does he give? Verse 16, with long life I shall satisfy him and show him my salvation. The man who places his hope and trust in Jesus Christ lives his days out. It doesn't matter if he dies young or old. He's satisfied with life and content to fly away to heaven. He will rise from the table of life as one who had had enough and needs no more. He wants only one more thing, and that is the promise of the Lord. Show him my salvation. The last thing he will see in this lifetime will be the grace of his salvation. He will not see the blackness of God's wrath, but the brightness of his love and the glory of his Savior. This psalm closes around the thoughts of heaven. It shows the joy that will belong to those who enter her gates and dwell there forever. There will never again no pain of sin. Guilt shall not be known within our walls. Only tears of joy will be found in the eyes of her residents. There, are, there her residence will not only be secure, but ever-present with the Lord. The title of this sermon was A Place to Hide. As it closes, it shows us the eternal hiding place of all of God's children. The scriptures show us in many ways the glory of our resting place. It is called our inheritance, the blessing we will receive for our faithfulness in God's grace. It is home, the home of the incorruptible one, the one that cannot fade away and will never be lost. We also hear it called a crown of glory. The beautiful thing about this crown is that once it's on your head, it can never be removed. It's yours for eternity. It is a great crown, an exceeding glory, an eternal weight of glory. It is represented as a feast. It is a feast with a call to sit and enjoy, but no rising up from it. It is the eternal satisfying of your spirit. My friends, herein we learn of the secret indwelling place of our God. We heard of the great and wonderful promises to all believers, and we come to see the glory of our eternal resting place. Do not all of these things fill your heart with a great desire to know our God better each day. Does it not make you desirous of such a place as heaven? If it does, then listen closely. There is but one way into that glorious heaven. It is through Jesus Christ. If you desire heaven, you must first desire Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You must acknowledge your sins, confess them, and repent. For only then can you place your hope and trust in Christ and in Him alone. It is that hope. It is that trust in Christ that will bring you to the gates of heaven and allow you inside. Inside the secret hiding place of all of God's children. Let us pray. Grant us this day, Heavenly Father, peace in our hearts and assurance of mind that you and you alone are in control of this world. You earn us not to think you warn us not to think we are rich and have acquired wealth and need nothing. We must realize we are wretched, poor, pitiful, naked, and blind. We have to understand everything we have has come down to us from heaven as a gift from you. Father, open our ears to hear and our hearts to understand that we might come in service to you and your people. Help us, for we know we cannot help ourselves. Keep us humble and filled with amazement, at your love and grace given us in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.